Good morning, everyone. Wow, it's amazing how quiet it gets when you walk up here. Wow. Let's let's get started with a, a word of prayer. Let's dedicate this time to our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you, Lord God, for gathering us all here. We think of those that may be on their way, Lord God, that you would allow them to arrive here safely, dear Lord Father. We pray for all the other Sunday schools going on, Lord God, that you would be with the teachers there. And Father, as we continue to journey in the book of 1 Corinthians, Lord God, we pray, Lord God, that as your word comes forth, Lord God, that it would transform us, dear Lord. That your spirit, Lord God, would illuminate your word and grant us understanding, Lord. And Father, I just pray that as I speak, that it would not be in my own strength and my own knowledge, Father, but you, Lord, through me to your people, Lord. As we commit this time to you, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're, we're, we're still in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll be looking at verses 12 through 19 and how the resurrection is essential to the Christian faith. So I'll read the text here. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead... How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God, because we testified against God and he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Amen? Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. So I broke this passage out into two sections, foolish reasoning, which is verses 12 and 13, and then the remainder of the text, implications of foolish reasoning. So we'll look at those in that manner today. So in verses uh, 12 to 13, I'll read them again now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. So previously, as we heard last week, uh, Paul stated how they, the Corinthians, agreed and believed the gospel that was preached to them. Thereby hearing, learning, and believing that Christ's resurrection was true. And we find those in verse 1 and verse 11. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you which also you received, in which you also stand. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. You heard it, you received it, therefore you believe it. So, why are there some among them that don't believe in the bodily resurrection? If there were no resurrection, then neither was Christ uh, resurrected. Amen? And uh, Mike mentioned it last week, Pastor Mike, that the Greeks believed in what's referred to as a dualism. 
And just to kind of simplify that, summarize it, that's where the, they believe that the spirit is separate from the body. Only the soul being immortal. The body is a shell, and when the person dies, the spirit is freed to its original state of purity. Now, regarding the bodily resurrection and, and Christ's resurrection and their, and their beliefism, this is how John MacArthur uh, says it. He tells us that the two resurrections stand or fall together. There could not be one without the other. Furthermore, if there is no resurrection, the gospel is meaningless. Therefore, it's worthless. So again, if the bodily resurrection does not happen, then what purpose did Jesus serve? That's pretty much what Paul is kind of prodding them with. And, and even today, what purpose did Jesus serve? What, what did he accomplish? Why did he even come if he was not resurrected, if he was, was not a physical resurrected body? Now maybe you figure, you think and we look at this today as the body of Christ and say, well, we believe that Christ uh, is resurrected. We believe that there is a bodily resurrection that awaits us. So how is this relevant uh, for today? Well, I never want to take things for granted. We never should. But I found this poll from um, uh, the BBC. It was done in 2017. And it shocked me when I read it. Their poll, the people, again, the audience they poll, 85% of those Christians, professing Christians polled, said that they do not believe in a bodily resurrection. They don't believe in a bodily resurrection. The poll states that 86% believe there's another life where your soul lives on. Okay, so kind of like that dualism that the, the Greeks were believing in. 16% 16% believe in, in reincarnation, right? A new life in a different body, okay? 2% believe you come, you come back as some kind of ghost, right? Or, or whatever, some fog. And, and it goes on and on. Only 1% polled believed in a physical bodily resurrection living in another world, a.k.a. the new heaven. Amen? So, again, not to take anything for granted. Because I believe all of us here believe in that, it doesn't make us um, insulated from everything else that's going around in society and in the world and the things we hear. Uh, If anything, if any of you pay a, a, a bit of attention to the news, you can really see how the repetitive reporting of any type of information becomes a belief. It becomes a position we stand on. It becomes uh, a goal that we seek to attain, whatever you want to call it. So we are very, we can be influenced, right? If that persistent, enduring, persevering, uh, again, of a message is put out there, that it can affect us. How many people do we know in the church? I'm sure most of us, if not all of us here, have a brother or sister in Christ that think there's nothing wrong with abortion. Among other things. That would be the hot topic right now. Or same-sex relationships. Okay? Again, that is the influence of this, the culture. And we are not 
okay, uh, exempt from that by any means. By being in God's word, by fellowshipping, of course, those are things that we do in order to build ourselves up and to, <clears throat> excuse me, help us stand against those things and stand on what we believe, just like the Corinthians did. Paul saying, you once believed, what's happening? Well, what's happening is they're giving in to what they're hearing constantly, what they are opening their ears and their minds to. Amen? That's really what it amounts to. So again, it's an encouragement for us to be leery, but also be disciplined in what we uh, let our eyes see and our ears hear. Yes, Sean? Well, is it even among the, the, the leading bodies of the, the Jewish leaders themselves? The Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection either. Right. You know, and it's one of those things that when you even think about that, they're supposed to be learned men and they didn't believe it at all. And they didn't believe it, right? Right. So, so there you have it. Even within, again, the faith there, they did not believe in the resurrection. The Bible's clear on that. So there, there's the first part, real quick. The foolish reasoning. And the, the better part of our time, the remainder of this, we're going to look at the implications of that foolish reasoning. All right. Now again, it's for the church there what happened. But then again, things that we have to uh, be alert to and uh, discipline. So implications of foolish reasoning. There are seven unacceptable conclusions to denying the bodily resurrection. First, we're going to look at three reasons it would be foolish to be a Christian if Christ were not raised. Not believing resulted in, first of all, the denial of the apostles' teaching, saying that it was useless or pointless. Second, we'll look at that the apostles' eyewitness accounts were false. And thirdly, that their faith, the Corinthians' faith, would be in vain. Or any Christian today, their faith would be in vain. So verses uh, 14 and 15, I believe it's on the outline there. I'm going to ask John Tomasetti if you could read that. Uh, 27. Uh, verse, uh, say 15? 14 and 15. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. Is it on there? It's not. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So, verse, I'll read it. And if Christ was not, has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God, Paul writes, because we testified against, against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. So, reason number one, the denial of the apostles' teaching. So we're dealing with verse 14, the first part, meaning that the apostles' teaching, as well as the faith anyone had in the gospel, were both pointless, right? They were useless. There was no benefit to them. So what was the purpose then of teaching Christ born, crucified, buried, and lives? If this was not uh, so, then any faith in it is devoid of any hope. Amen? There is no hope. The people, there were people we read last week uh, when Pastor Mike went over the first part of the chapter there that um, there were eyewitness accounts. Amen? There were people that saw Jesus. So they, they couldn't deny seeing the resurrected body. All right, John Tomasetti, could you read 1 Corinthians 15, 5 to 6? Sure. Uh, uh, 
and, uh, and that he appeared to, to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of your brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Amen. Thank you, John. So, he appeared, okay? He appeared. It wasn't some kind of ghostly image. It wasn't, you know, some kind of um, imaginative, imaginatory, uh, imaginative uh, vision. It says that he appeared. That word appeared means to see. It means to behold. And, and as we've learned in the past, behold, what behold means is to observe. Is that we look upon something and that we contemplate it. It's not that we just like see, you know, a bird fly by. It's, you know, we're watching it, we're looking at it, we're taking it in, we're having a thought about it, under, trying to understand it, we're considering it. We are contemplating it. So he was seen, he appeared to 500 people. Dan, what would happen if you had 500 witnesses testify against uh, your claim in a court of law? You'd be in a lot of trouble, right? You'd be in a lot of trouble. But this is the complete opposite, right? Who is in trouble here? The Pharisees. But for the for the Christians, you've had you. We have five hundred, more than five hundred witnesses recorded here that saw, that beheld. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say that this is me now. That there were probably more than five hundred, but there's five hundred here that Paul is saying. Beheld, they considered, they re- they saw him there. Just like I see you, and you see me today. So it wasn't just something in passing. So a great testimony there, a great piece of evidence in any court of law. So and also in that verse, it's, it says that he was raised. He was raised. Now there are a lot of meanings that can come from that word. But in, in this uh, passage here, in the context, that word itself is the same word that's used in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter uh, 28, uh, verse 6. Could, uh, Dan, could you read Matthew 28, verse 6? It should be on the outline. Yeah. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he was lying. Now again, that's when they went to where? The empty tomb, right? And they were told that He, Jesus, has risen. That is the same word used here in Corinthians chapter 14. It means to waken. Not to pick up or lift up, but to waken. Alright? So it's the same word. There's also another verse in Matthew I want to share with you. But before I read this verse, I just want to remind us that Matthew, writing to the Jewish audience, and here he makes the point in mentioning what resulted from the, the finished work of Jesus Christ. All right, this verse uh, that I want to uh, isolate on just for a minute is uh, kind of in the middle of a passage, and it's kind of like the in parentheses uh, mentioned. But it's important not to overlook it. It's not a chronological account. Um, Paul felt, it, uh, excuse me, Matthew felt that it was important that he mentioned this. In what was accomplished. So Matthew 28, uh, 27, verses 50 to 53, we read. This is the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Jesus shouted again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Suddenly, the curtain of the sanctuary was split in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked, 
and the rock split. The tombs were also opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Now I know a lot of people that stop there. And they associate that account with the crucifixion. But this is the verse that's kind of in parentheses. Because if you read the next verse, what does it say, Pastor John? Verse 53. Matthew 27. Or you can say 12. I'm sorry. And then they came out of the tombs after his resurrection and the holy city and appeared to man. I'm sorry if I referenced the wrong thing. Okay, so, so again. The tombs were also opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. That didn't happen at the crucifixion, or after the crucifixion. It says in verse 53, Matthew writes, And they came out of the tombs after his resurrection, entered the Holy Spirit, and appeared to many. And that's the account that Paul was referencing to back in uh, the first part of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. And that is the whole reason why we have the resurrection. Amen? Uh, that's the whole reason why Christ died, is that there, is a, there would be a physical resurrection. The bodily resurrection is not, or was not, a New Testament concept, but it is a biblical truth recorded throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament we see uh, it referenced in the book of Job. I'm going to ask Sean, could you read Job 19, 25-27 there? But I know my living Redeemer, and He will stand on the dust at last. Even after my skin has been destroyed, yet I will see God in my flesh. I will see Him myself. My eyes will look at Him. And not as a stranger, my heart longs within me. Amen. Amen. What a great word there. Job says, I will see God, how? In my flesh. Not in some ghostly vapor, not in a soul, a spirit, but in his flesh. A bodily resurrection, a spiritual body, but a body nonetheless. He says, I will see him myself. My eyes will look at him. And not as a stranger. My heart longs within me. What a great promise. What a great promise we have. Just to consider that. These few verses right here. What Job was expressing. And that is our hope church. That is our hope. Also it's, it, we, we see it written uh, in the Psalms. Psalm 17.15 As for me. I shall behold your face. That means a literal face. Uh, the presence of God. I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. I shall behold your face. Again, that word behold, it's not just a passing glance. It's an intense. It's, it's a contemplation, a consideration. Also in Psalm 11.7, it says in there, the upright will behold his face. Psalm 140.13, the upright will dwell in your presence. Again, the presence of God. So, foolishness to deny the resurrection is to deny the apostles' teaching. And professing Christians who deny the resurrection are also foolish because, number two, people's faith, their faith, Christians' faith, would be in vain. As Paul mentions, uh, the purpose of Christ defeating death 
the purpose of his resurrection, how God, this is how God chose to carry out his plan for redemption. Amen? He made a people to himself. We are his possession. And there is no other way that man can be made to be right standing before God. There is no other way for man to sidestep the wrath of God. There is no other way, brothers and sisters, right, to heaven. There is no other way to heaven. We're all familiar with Hebrews 11, right? What is uh, Hebrews 11 referred to as? Faith chapter, hall of faith, right? If there was no resurrection, that wouldn't be, would there? There would be no faith that Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and Sarah, even Moses were looking ahead to. If the resurrection didn't happen, their faith was in vain. It would also be foolish, number three, because the eyewitness accounts were therefore false. Okay? They were false. Over 500 people lied of their beholding of a risen Savior. Could someone read verse uh, 15 there on the outline? Pastor Mike. Moreover, we were even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that He raised Christ whom we did not raise if in fact they were not raised. Amen. Thank you. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God. Again, no resurrection means or meant no gospel. Paul is saying it would be foolish to believe in such a religion, to have that kind of faith. Why would anyone propagate a false religion like that? Why would anyone make themselves to be liars? Why would anyone do all that, putting their lives in jeopardy of death? Because we know the apostles were martyred. Amen? All but one. Bartholomew, Andrew, Matthew, and Matthias were all crucified. Peter was crucified upside down. Gee, let me go this route so this happens to me. I don't know who's, who's signing up for that team. That was the belief they had. That was the conviction they had. Because it happened. The apostles witnessed that. So there you have three reasons why if there were no resurrection, Christianity would be in foolishness. Uh, verse 16 basically reaffirms that if the dead cannot be raised, therefore Christ was not raised. If you're saying that, that, that people will not have a resurrected body, then really you're saying Christ wasn't raised because you can't have one and not the other. So we move on to uh, four outcomes Christians would suffer. And that rounds out the seven unacceptable conclusions to denying the resurrection. So we're, looking at, we're going to look at four outcomes that Christians would suffer. Verses 17 through 19. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. So the four things in here, not believing meant, number four, we continue that list, the Corinthians faith was futile. 
Therefore, our faith will be futile. Fifthly, they'd remain in their sins. We'd remain in our sins. Sixth, those who died, who went to sleep, are lost forever. And lastly, number seven, believers would be most miserable. So, I think Paul's just kind of saying, let's break this down a little bit more. Let's take this to another level. Let's make this a little more personal. What does it mean to you? All right. So Paul submits his fourth and fifth reason in verse 17. The first part of verse 17, we see a pointless faith. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. Pretty straightforward, right? Doesn't need much interpretation there. If Christ was not raised from the dead, the dead then, uh, if Christ was not raised from the dead, then what is your faith in? Faith is the assurance of what? Things hoped for. Right? What is it then you are hoping in? And that's what I would ask those, those 86% that don't believe in a resurrection, in a bodily resurrection. Well then what is your hope in? The hope is there going to be some, some ghost or some vapor or, you know, What is your hope in? Is it, for some people, it's, their hope is that they, they get into heaven on their good deeds. That their good outweigh their bad. On the, on the, on the favor scale. We all know about that, right? That, that's not going to work out. And even if that were possible, even if that were possible, and you would get to heaven based on doing everything good, Right? What does Revelation 19, 9a say? Mrs. Wessel, could you read that? That is said to me, right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. All right, these are true words of God, right? So if we were to get to heaven, which we believe we will, and even if those people who think they will get to heaven, in in what form do you think you're going to enter heaven as? Again, we already saw statistics, but we're told that it's a physical body, and this supports that, right? John writes, again, the words of God, then he said to me, right? Jesus said to me, write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That word supper literally means Food. Only a physical body can consume food. It's common sense. Isaiah 25, 6. He writes, The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain. A banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, and refined aged wine. It'll be a physical body. Amen? We will have a physical body. God created man, right? Physically, right? God created man to be with him, to tend to the garden, right? To be a manager, to have children, to live. Those are all physical things. The creation account records God providing physical sustenance for Adam and Eve, right? In Genesis 1.29, then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed, that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. Again, the physical body will consume physical food. 
So there is going to be a physical body. When God returns everything to order, the new heaven, the new earth, if one's assurance is not in a physical resurrection, again, then what is it in? It, it is, it's a futile, pointless faith. That's what a person is left with. So again, denying, you know, uh, denying the resurrection means that there would be, number five, no propitiation. Right? The end of verse 17, you are still in your sins. If Christ were not raised, all our sins remain in us, with us. Meaning, again, that there's no propitiation, that God is not appeased, the debt is not satisfied. So the result would be to receive the penalty of God's wrath. Jesus, speaking uh, to the Pharisees while teaching in the temple complex, was recorded as saying this in John 8, 21. Max, could you read that? I'm going away. You will look for me and you will die in your sin. For I'm going and you cannot come. Right, those were his words to the Pharisees. Unfortunately, those are his words to some people. Unfortunately, those are his words to some people we know. Unfortunately, those are his words to people we love. I'm going away. You will look for me. And you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So again, just a simple reminder that there is physical life after death. Romans 6.22 But now, having been free from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. That is our promise. That is our hope. Again, in the physical body. Useless, pointless faith. The Corinthians, anyone today who does not believe in the resurrection would not benefit from whatever faith it is that they have. It's not going to happen. Because they would remain in their sins and be under the curse of God's wrath, unfortunately. Another outcome would be number six. There will only be condemnation. Verse 18. Alvin, could you read verse 18? Then those who also, also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Amen. Amen. So, so for those of us who believe, we know that there's hope. For those that have, of, of our loved ones that knew the Lord, that have gone on to be with Him. There is a hope that we know where they are and that one day we will uh, see them again. But again, let's say for these Corinthians or anyone else who has a pointless faith, there is no hope for them. There is no hope for the people that passed on before them and there is no hope for them themselves. If Christ had not been raised, those who have died in Christ have perished to a state of condemnation and judgment including those from the Old Testament and everyone today would be under that. Jesus says in John 12, 26, If anyone serves me, he must follow, he must follow me, or he must go with me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. 
So again, we have that hope as, as believers in the resurrection of Jesus and in a future bodily resurrection for us. We have that hope for the, our loved ones that have passed away that they will also. Those that serve the Lord, those that worship God, those that believe in Jesus Christ. So this kind of naturally leads to the last, the last outcome, which is having a miserable life. Miserable lives. That's, a, that's the, you know, not very encouraging. The word miserable is not an encouraging word. Right? So that's an unacceptable conclusion for the Christian who denies uh, the resurrection. Verse 19 says, If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men to be most pitied. Most pity. The word that word means miserable, right? Again, thinking back, how miserable would I be thinking of my dad? All right. If he, if if you know, if I didn't believe in a resurrection, I'd constantly be grieving. I'd constantly be grieving. I'd constantly be sorrowful. Not that my grieving would end, but I'd be grieving without hope. I'd be miserable. But I know that my father passed away, that he professed a faith in Christ, and I have the hope that he's with the Lord, and that one day I will be joined with him. So I'm not miserable. I'm happy. I can be joyful. But for someone who does not believe in both resurrection, they are miserable. We are most uh, pitied. Why follow Christ? Why express our love to God? Because we believe in the resurrection. Life is hard. Life is difficult for the believer to stand. In 2 Timothy uh, verse, uh, excuse me, chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, Paul writes, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not might, will be persecuted. Those who desire to live a godly life. Why would anyone who does not believe in the resurrection, want to live a life glorifying to God if knowing you're going to be persecuted? Why would someone choose to live in a way that they are persecuted and mistreated? And that time is almost upon us, right church? We could see as we move forward in history that we are drawing very, very close to that. The persecution that will come Upon us. But Paul continues in his letter to Timothy, uh, continuing in verse 13 while evil people and impostors will go, go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Again, why would I believe? Why would I have this faith? Why would I want to believe in this resurrection unless I believed it was true? Why would I want to? subject myself to my family not accepting me, making fun of me or not wanting anything to do with me why would I subject myself to that unless I really believed believing in the finished work of Christ believing in the virgin birth his sinless life, death, burial and resurrection and all that has to come out in the way we live. Not in a form of arrogance, but in a form of worship unto our Lord. 
in everything that we do, in our decision making, in how we live our lives, on how we raise our children, how we deal with other people. It, it, it all comes out in that way. So, seven unacceptable conclusions to denying the bodily resurrection. We saw three reasons it would be foolish for a Christian to do because they would be denying the apostles' teaching, our faith would be in vain, saying the eyewitnesses' accounts in the Bible were false, and then we have the four outcomes that Christianity, uh, Christians would suffer, again, that it would be a pointless faith, there, will, there would be no propitiation, we'd have to face God's judgment and receive His wrath. There's only condemnation, and that we would have a miserable life today if we didn't have the joy of the Lord. And then we can only have the joy of the Lord if we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So I finished a little bit early. If anybody has any questions, comments, anything you'd like to add, now is the time to do that. Okay. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you again for today. We thank you, Lord, again, at least for me, the reminder uh, from this is with everything, the onslaught of society and media and everything else, Lord God, that we remain faithful to you, Lord God, for you have been faithful to us and will always be faithful to us, Lord God. Father, help us not to waver on... on um, position. I know we don't waver on the, on the resurrection, Lord God. I'm pretty sure everyone here believes that you were raised from the dead and that one day we will be raised. But in other areas, Lord God, that we would stand firm, Father God. Again, not in arrogance, but out of worship and love to you, Father God. That we would not waver on issues like same-sex marriage and um, abortion and, and many other things, Lord God. But that we would trust you as we stand and your word tells us that we will face some persecution. So, And you will give us the words we need to speak by the power of your spirit when we have to give an answer for those things. We have that promise. It's in your word. So Father, as we uh, leave here today, I pray for the service to come that you would be with Pastor Eric, Lord God, that it would be your words through him. Prepare, uh, Help us to prepare our, our minds and our hearts to receive uh, what you have, that we would leave this building different than when, from when we came in. More image bearers, more into the likeness of your Son. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.